I would just like to address the question, what is God trying to tell us right now? With uh, a lot of discouraging news on the political front, on the religious front, it seems that honesty and integrity in high places is in short supply. Freedom is under attack, certainly in the country where I reside, the United States. The cancel culture seems to be having its way. As the uh, songwriter penned, mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone. To quote the famous poet James Russell Lowell, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. That uh, could, I thought about those lines many times with what we're experiencing here in the United States. Why does God seem to be silent? What in the world is he doing? What is he trying to tell us? Well, the message in Habakkuk is, is primarily a message of judgment. As far as we can tell, it's for sins during the reign of the wicked king of, uh, of Judah, Manasseh. And um, we don't know if it was what exactly judgment is, is impending here. It could have been more far reaching into the future than just the impending the Babylonian captivity. But these familiar words I'll read again from Habakkuk chapter three, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth, O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And I hope that last phrase will just bring in our ears and hearts and consciences. In wrath, remember mercy. There is a kindness in God's justice. There's always a silver lining against the backdrop of his wrath. I'm afraid that many of us, at least here in America, have been living in a bubble and uh, we fail to realize how, how wicked our country is and even how apostate our churches are. America leads the world in many vices and perversions. In fact, the thing that God used to uh, alert me to this prayer meeting and to attract me to it was to hear uh, Brother Stephen's message over a year ago at the Foundations Conference. I think it was in New York where he told about the Facebook moderators and how one man just had a complete breakdown because of what he had to view on the Facebook on a daily basis. And uh, most of us just aren't even aware of how wicked our country is, but God is a holy and just God. He will judge sin, but I'm here to tell you this, this afternoon for most of us, I guess, that he still remembers mercy, even in his wrath. God manifests his mercy most strikingly against the backdrop of judgment. This is abundant, abundantly illustrated both in the Bible and in the annals of church history. God let his people Israel be enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And when he sent Moses and Aaron to announce to Pharaoh the plagues of God's judgment. He allowed things to get worse before they got better. The elders complained to Moses and they said, 
the elders of Israel, his own people said, you've made us to stink to Pharaoh and to put a sword in his hand to slay us. And yet we know the rest of the story. We know how that God showed his mercy in preserving his people, even in the land of Goshen, and then delivering them both by blood and by power. Fast forward a few hundred years close to our time, and in the time of Esther and Mordecai, God was still judging his people, Israel. They were exiles in a pagan land. By the way, that's the way we need to see ourselves. As God's people, we are exiles in pagan America or pagan Canada or the pagan UK or the pagan South Africa. But God showed his mercy in delivering his people from the wrath of wicked Haman. In fact, he magnified his mercy so greatly that many of the people of Medo-Persia actually became Jews because the fear of Mordecai and the Jews fell on them, according to Esther chapter 8, verse 17. That's unbelievable. Others were enticed to get in on God's mercy. <laughs> a few months ago, uh, Stephen shared a devotional from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and he drew an analogy from Jehoshaphat's time to ours. God was angry with Judah, primarily for because Jehoshaphat had helped the ungodly. And he allowed a coalition of ancient enemies to threaten to decimate his people. The godly king led all Judah in contrition and prayer. And in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat prayed, O our God, wilt thou not judge them, the coalition of enemies? For we have no might against this company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And then the rest of the story goes on to share that God delivered his people in an unprecedented way. And all that remained for Judah to do was to gather the spoil. You know, it's always worth it. It's always worth it to helplessly cry out to God in contrition and faith, even when we see evildoers prosper and seem to get away with murder. And so I just like to make the application, bring it right to where we live and in our situation. This Zoom prayer meeting is primarily for revival, praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I have never believed that more than I do now. But we need to examine our hearts before a holy, offended God and confess our sins and worship him in the beauty of holiness. Could I say this kindly without seeming to be smart aleck? It's time to emerge from the bubble. It's time to seek the Lord. Our entreaties of our God should be persistent and insistent. And until we reach that point, God is likely to let us sink lower and lower until the enemies seem to gain the ascendancy. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to confess with Jehoshaphat that we have no might. Those of you who have been in America will understand what I mean when I say the moral majority is a myth. The Judeo-Christian consensus is a thing of the past. We are a people in exile in post-Christian America. 
But the God of Moses, of Jehoshaphat, of Mordecai, of Daniel is our God. His ear is open to our cry. Them that trust in him, he will not put to shame. He will not allow us to be confounded. And as we apply this principle to praying for revival, which is, I don't hesitate to say so, it is the larger giving of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the chiefest gift that God has, the gift of his mercy. I'd like to just close with one verse and then a quote from Andrew Murray. We have some people from South Africa that join us on this meeting. They'll recognize that name very readily. And God allowed Andrew Murray to experience revival. The verse is Isaiah 8, verse 17. Isaiah 8, 17. I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Andrew Murray's comment is this, even as Christ, when he entered God's presence, at once used his place of privilege and honor as intercessor, so we no less, if we know that it is really to enter in and wait upon God, we must use our access for our less favored brethren. Murray goes on to say, and this may fit the situation of some here today, you worship with a certain congregation. Perhaps there is not the spiritual life or joy, either in the preaching or in the fellowship that you would desire. You belong to a church with its many congregations. There is so much of error or worldliness, of seeking after human wisdom and culture, or trust in ordinances and observances, that you do not wonder that God hides his face and that there is but little power for true conversion or edification. At times you feel as if things were hopeless, that nothing will help. But then here's his hopeful advice. Do believe that God can and will help. Set yourself to wait upon God on behalf of his erring children. Instead of the tone of judgment or condemnation or of despondency and despair, realize your calling to wait upon God. If others fail in doing it, give yourself doubly to it. Say on each new occasion when you are tempted to speak or to sigh, I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. So let's not grow weary in well-doing. Let's keep waiting on the Lord until he pours out his spirit upon us. Amen.